We're well into the 21st century. Isn't it time that nations held captive by the European great powers finally get to determine their own future? What about Kurdistan? Yeah, what about them? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. The world is being shaken up. We all know that. One historical trend, and it's mainly a good one, is that the centers of power which used to be unquestioned, the so-called great powers of Europe, have been slowly but steadily losing their vaunted, rather aggressive dominance and control of the world. And the price paid for pretending that is not reality is high indeed, not just for the old great powers, but for those people whose lives have been formally forced to serve those imperial interests. As we all know from our own lives, in challenge lies opportunity. One of the, out of the debris left by crumbling empires, there is not unreasonable hope for better arrangements for the remainder of the 21st century, polities more realistic and productive than, was, than what was imposed on so many nations as a tragic and deeply regrettable yet continuing impact from the First World War of over a hundred years ago. What was then called the Great War was a European conflict, yet so many nations around the entire globe were, and many still are, affected quite negatively. For example, nations that had majority populations that were people of color and were not under the power of Western religions were seen as regions to be conquered and divided up as the victors saw fit, without even considering the will of the people who lived there, of course. The ongoing political, cultural, and social conflicts in Iran and Iraq, Syria, Turkey, and Egypt today are the continuing result of the voracious appetite of the European empires. And as with America's experience in Indochina, imposing a government on people that do not wish it doesn't work. I believe we are today witnessing something like that in slow motion in the Middle East. One of the nations that's rarely been featured in Western news media is Kurdistan. Kurdistan? What's that? Well, that's the point. Where is justice for the Kurds? Why have they not had the status of an independent, self-governing state after all these years? And most important, what can be done about it? What can we do about it? What can be done in general? Our guest today is doing something about it. He is embarking on a unique journey. He's D.C. resident Kani Zukan, who will be walking to New York City through the month of July... A distance of over 300 miles, Kani Zulam is a native of Kurdistan. He holds a B.A. in history from the University of California at Santa Barbara and an M.A. in international service program at the American University. And he also is director of the American Kurdish Information Network. And in his capacity as that, Mr. Zulam has worked closely with members of U.S. Congress and their staff to seek the freedom of of Kurdish parliamentarians imprisoned in Turkey. In 1997, Zulam took on a hunger strike on the steps of the Capitol, urging members of Congress to use their good offices on behalf of their imprisoned Kurdish colleagues. 153 members signed a letter urging President Clinton to intervene on their behalf on the matter. Uh, on the advice of his position, of his physician, uh, Mr. Uh, Zulan under, uh, ended his fast on the 32nd day. Yow! <laughs> In 2001, Mr. Zulan uh, undertook an around-the-clock vigil in front of the Turkish ambassador's residence in Washington, D.C., to highlight the plight of imprisoned Kurdish parliamentarians. That vigil, kept in a replica of a Turkish prison cell, lasted 221 days. Wow, you are dedicated. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, uh, Connie. Thank, thanks for having me. And after your letter urging him to act, did President Clinton do anything? What, what, what did he do? I, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, he, to his credit, he actually nudged the government of Turkey to release um, Leila Zana and her friends 
the four parliamentarians that had been sentenced to 15 years in prison, Oof. among the charges were um, a testimony that Leila and her colleague Ahmed had provided to a standing committee of the United States Congress uh -huh. uh, in the United States. So uh, the free speech that she exercised here uh, became uh, part, part of the indictment, uh, and, and that translated into a 15-year sentence. Um, to, as I said to his credit, um, the, the problem was the government of Turkey didn't want to give in to President Clinton's pressure. What they did was um, they went to Leyla Zana in prison and they asked her to feign illness. And then they could release her on humanitarian grounds uh. because they, they still wanted to you know, come across as a democratic country. They didn't think that they were um, you know, violating free speech. Uh, of course, they were lying, but they and Leila had been in prison at that time for three years. She refused to play um, mm -hmm. their game mm -hmm. and she ended up serving seven more years. Oh and I couldn't I mean, me and my friends, no matter what we did, we couldn't free her. But the European Union, to its credit, uh, pressured Turkey to release her. And then she was released after serving 10 years in jail. Um, she's out now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, freedom of speech is something we have taken for granted here for a long time, but uh, it is under threat here. And uh, Turkey, boy, you know, I've heard it's a beautiful place. I'd love to go there someday. I'm not real crazy about Erdogan, I must say. And I, I have to ask, I, I asked my, my daughter, who's very well informed, uh, just uh, finished a, a law degree, uh, I asked her, what does she know about Kurdistan? She didn't know. I doubt many listeners know about Kurdistan, it, the geographic location. It's, I don't, it's not on any maps. Where is Kurdistan? Um, you know, if you had looked at the maps of Europe in 1914, there was no Poland. Um, it was submerged into Austro-Hungarian Austro Empire, right. German, German Empire, and then Russian Empire. Right. So these three empires had literally swallowed it um, 123 years before. Um, and then in after the First World War, uh, Poles were connected enough, uh, had enough representation in Europe, in America, and then they pushed for um, the recognition of Poland as an independent country, as a state. Mm -hmm. So out, out of the First World War came the Poland, came right. Czechoslovakia, came um, you know, a number of countries like Hungary. And um, the Kurds, um, President Wilson at the time, uh, to his credit, he had advocated something called self-determination for subject peoples. Right. Um, as you probably remember, um, in 1917, U.S. entered the war. Before entering the war, President uh, Wilson announced 14 points, mm -hmm. and the 12 point 12 number 12 was that you know subject peoples of these empires that the U.S. was going to fight against to make them world safe for democracy in their words in his words um was they were to be free um uh, kurdistan at uh, a truncated kurdistan was uh, to be free um a treaty was signed in uh, uh, uh in paris uh, at a place called Saver, uh, a suburb of uh, paris and um that was supposed to go into action league of nations was supposed to be mm. um overseeing it. And then, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, at least from the Kurdish perspective, uh, a gentleman called uh, Ataturk um, uh, undertook a war of liberation to fight against the, the Greeks, the um, French, the British, the Italians. And um, Lenin at the time had already won um, right. in Moscow. So he you know, called himself an anti-imperialist and Ataturk called himself an anti-imperialist. So Lenin and, and saw eye to eye with Ataturk and gave, uh, Lenin already had signed a peace treaty with Germany. So his arms were, um, their arms were kind of a superfluous. So he gave a lot of military aid to Turkey and Turkey managed to 
um, free itself, so to speak, from the you know French domination, Italian domination, Greek domination. What they did more was that they also took the Kurdish areas. They dominated the Kurdish lands. And so a new treaty was signed, and the new treaty was signed on July 24, uh-huh. 1923, mm-hmm. in a city called Lausanne mm-hmm. in Switzerland. And in that treaty, um, Kurdistan was basically eradicated from the map, the political map of the world. And um, half of it was given to Turkey, basically. Um, and the other half was divided between or among Iran, British Iraq, and then French Syria. Um, today, 100 years later, we're talking about 50 million, you know, stateless Kurds. Wow. Um, 50 million Kurds who, who's, um, you know, they're subjects of the Turkish government in Turkey um, mm-hmm. and then of Syria in uh, in Syria. Um, so it's a problem. Um, my walk from D.C. to uh, New York, um, I'm hoping to raise awareness about um, the, the plight of the Kurds. And um, I'm hoping, you know, media may show some interest in the story. Um, and then I, when I get to New York, um, I'm, you know, if, if there is attraction, if there is media coverage, then great. Um, I'm, I think somebody from UN probably will want to, you know, talk, come out and talk to us. If not, uh, we'll do what uh, Martin Luther did uh, 500 years ago when he, um, uh-huh. rebelled ag- against Catholicism of Europe and, um, he thought Vatican was corrupt and he, um, you know, nailed his 95 thesis on a church door. We only have one thesis. Uh, we want basically, you know, the right of the Kurdish people to be respected and accepted, uh, the right of Kurdish people to self-determination. So we'll just, uh, we have a one pager. We'll, um, we'll then tape it to the entrance of the United Nations on July uh, 24, 19, 2023 on right. Monday. And it will be, uh, you know, 100 years after what they did. Uh, I know UN wasn't around then, but the UN basically has taken over League of Nations and European great powers, uh, you know, are members of the permanent, uh, are members of the Security Council, like France is, England is. And these two countries played a big role in the uh, partitioning of the Kurdish homeland. And uh, America is uh, today a superpower and so these powers can do something about it. And I'm hoping, um, you know, my walk will nudge them in that direction. I, I, I've been curious as to the resistance of uh, the government uh, in, in Turkey, uh, specifically, and the other governments too, Iraq and Iran, they all like, what, you know, I understand, I, I don't like imperialism, believe me, but I understand why the great powers wanted what they want. I mean, British, Britain wanted Mesopotamia for its oil. That's Iraq. France had designs on Syria throughout the First World War, and they got Lebanon cut out as, as theirs. And the great powers figured somehow it was their right to own these lands of others. Why Kurdistan? And, and right now, you know, what is the resistance? And I believe there's... I don't know that well. And, and this is one of the things, you know, when we rely on a media here and, they, you know, they go for the latest shiny object, <laughs> they don't cover this very well. There is, I believe, a political uh, uh, movement, at least, within these uh, countries as opposed to nations uh, for an independent Kurdistan. What, what's going on with that? And, and what is, what, what's their interest and why, why the resistance to it? Why do they want to, I mean, what, what are they afraid of? Um, well, they're, I mean, they don't want this Kurdish area to be independent, free, because, I mean, to be, uh, you know, Kurds are asking for political rights. Yes. And if they grant political rights to the Kurds, the Kurds might ask for secession too. Mm-hmm. For example, in, you know, in Canada, there's a large minority called French Canadians. Right. They live in a province called Quebec. Indeed. And a couple, couple of times they have voted whether they should secede or not, and they have not, and that is the way it should be. You know, people should be respected and accepted. In Turkey, unfortunately, that's not the case. What is on the ground 
is, um, you know, it's it's cultural genocide. For example, Kurdish language is not even legal. It's ah. illegal. Mm. Mm. Uh, so you're talking about 25 million people who are not allowed to cultivate their language, who are forced to be assimilated into the dominant culture, who um, are agitating for a greater political space and who are denied that space. So there is an armed struggle in Turkey, unfortunately, as well as a um, non-armed struggle, like the, the, a party called HDP, or recently they had to change their name because the Turkish government keeps closing them down. Um, and so they um, are seeking you know, uh, a, a civil solution to this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the government of Turkey feels very strong. It feels um, that it can take on the Kurds. And uh, the Kurds, unfortunately, are weak. Um, I, you know, I have to um, be honest here. And so that's one of the reasons we are asking, you know, the international community to uh, the people of goodwill to adopt um, our initiative. I mean, I'm like, if, if people go to my website, Kurdistan.org, uh-huh. um, and then if there's a, you know, a short video about this walk, why we're doing it, two minutes and 48 seconds. And then they could also, um, below that video, there's a link to a one page in which we're asking, you know, people all over the world to re- to write a letter to their representatives, asking them to reach out to their ambassadors at the United Nations to see to it that, you know, this, this desire of ours is adopted, that UN... Uh, General Secretary uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres has the authority to appoint a special envoy, a special representative to address this issue. Um, if that happens, I mean, it, it has never been done before. Um, if, let's say, there's enough, enough outside pressure and mm-hmm. he does that, it will be a gigantic step forward and in the, in the cause of human rights, in the cause of Kurdish rights, in terms of you know getting some recognition, our adversaries are doing everything they can. They're hiring big PR firms to uh-huh. silence the Kurds. They're saying the Kurds are happy to be in Turkey. Um, what Turkey wants, what Turkey likes, is that the Kurds don't have leaders, and the Kurds are docile. Um, this is the Kur- Turkish solution to the Kurdish problem. Mm. You know, mm. l- eliminate their leaders and teach them how to be docile, teach them how to be grateful. Um, This is, um, you know, this is the challenge the Kurds are facing. It is the case in Syria. It's the case in Iraq. uh, It's the case in Iran. It changes from country to country. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a population that is 50 million strong that has no political, you know, representation. Mm and is deliberately um, denied that and is, um, you know, subjected to um, horrific um, brutality. In Iraq, Kurds were gassed. In Syria, for a long time, Kurds were not even recognized as citizens. Um, And in Iran, they're subjected to a theocracy. And in Turkey, supposedly the most liberal country in the Middle East, um, our language is banned. I mean, Turkey is committing cultural genocide um, as we speak. Wow, yeah, and, and people don't know that, you know, and if, if people are denied freedom anywhere, it's it's the responsibility of, of people who have some degree of freedom to uh, to speak up about it because it diminishes uh, all of us. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, Kurdistan, which has its own language and yet... Uh, is denied uh, a, a nation, though, though they are a nation. And our, our guest today is the director of the American Kurdish Information Network. And he's uh, rather focused on it. And he's just uh, start, about to uh, start a walk of over 300 miles to go to the UN on, and to arrive there on the 100th anniversary of the uh, Treaty of Luzon, which uh, split up uh, Kurdistan. And you know, Turkey has a, a, a long uh, history, very interesting history, the, the Ottoman Empire, and, uh, you know, they worked with the, with the Germans, and I, I just find that stuff fascinating. And 
I was in the New Hampshire State Senate back 1990 to 2004, and there was discussion back then about uh, a, a resolution uh, in in support of Armenia and criticizing and, and wanting Turkey to fess up and to admit that they there was a genocide of Armenia in 1915. And what what has ever happened with that? I mean, it was. The, the more you read about what the what the Turks did to the Armenians in 1915, it's just uh, unthinkable. So, has there been any resolution uh, of that, and what might that, you know, uh, situation status uh, hold for the future of uh, of uh, Kurdistan? Uh, that resolution finally passed, uh, if my memory serves me right, in 2018. Excellent. Uh, when uh, Trump was president. Um, mm-hmm. The Congress, the House passed it, and then I believe the Senate passed it too. Um, it was, uh, you know, a long overdue recognition of what uh, has what took place uh, in those dark days uh, in 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 the aftermath in the course of the First World War. Right. Um, Armenians are a Christian minority in the Middle East. Um, they, for a long time, were tolerated, um, but towards the end of uh, uh, 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, unfortunately, they were um, uh, targeted, uh, and uh, from 1894 to 1924, um, in a span of 30 years, um, by some historians, uh, you know, close to one and a half million of them were were killed, um, and that's like 80 percent of the population. Uh, you know, imagine the. The, the 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 numbers um so they had uh, armenians had um, some of them had were lucky enough to find refuge here and they tried to get that recognition uh in my opinion it's good to for countries to um you know be big uh to look back to their history and then to admit yes. uh if they had shortcomings Absolutely. um so i i view that as a as a progress um it, but you know, it, it's not enough of a progress that the Kurds, like for example, Turks have um, stopped the cultural genocide of the Kurds. I mean, it hasn't meant that. It hasn't come to that. Um, but still, it's a progress. Um, Armenians are, um, you know, are happy that that's uh, at least the U.S. Congress recognized it. Um, in our case, the struggle is still going on. There are, you know, Kurds are still on the ground. We're not a diaspora nation. We are still living mm-hmm. on our lands, mm-hmm. and we're trying to, you know, change um, the region, change the, the the countries that oppress us, uh, so that we have political space, so that we can, for example, name our children with Kurdish names, so that we could um, uh, teach our, you know, children Kurdish language. Um, I'm not against Turkish language per se. I'm not against Arabic language per se or Persian language per se. But I think it should be a choice and it should be, you know, like people should be, should say, yeah, I want to learn Turkish too. Um, but what the way, what Turkey is doing right now, it's basically saying, you know, you don't even exist. Mm. I don't recognize you. Um, and I'm going to shove my culture through your throat. And whether you like it or not, you're going to have to, you know, and they are hoping in the long run, uh, you know, in let's say you know, 50 years, the curse will basically vanish because some bigots in Istanbul or in Ankara didn't tolerate them, didn't like their language. I mean, a language takes, a, a sociologist will tell you a, a language develops, has developed, our languages have developed over 250,000 years, a quarter million years. Mm-hmm. And something that is that old, something that is that uh, unique uh, today, some bigots like Ataturk, uh, you know, think that it should vanish. And the government of Turkey still is pursuing that policy. Um, and I think Turkey is not is not like uh, Russia, in my opinion, is not like a superpower. It's very dependent. And if there is an outcry out in, outside uh-huh. of the, uh, Turkey, um, just like South Africa changed because of the outcry abroad, yes. uh, Turkey can change too. Uh, and Kurds can can get some political space um, in the Middle East too. Um, otherwise, they you know flee the area. They 
add numbers to the refugees. And I think that is wrong as well because I mean, people technically should live where they belong. If they, if you know, the, but the problem is there's no political space for them. So they, they agitate for political rights and they get tortured, they get imprisoned and then they become refugees. Um, and, and then, you know, the world mm. says, how come we have so many refugees? Yeah, really? Well, that's the problem too, because the world doesn't care about, um, about, you know, like all I'm saying is if, if let's say the initiative that I'm undertaking, my group is undertaking, my office is undertaking, if, if it's supported and honored and recognized, um, it could also reduce the number of refugees yes. uh, in Europe. Um, so it, it's a solution to a problem that is political in nature. And it is fascinating and frankly disgusting the uh, some of the attitudes about refugees, you know, Trump called for building a wall. I mean, that's yeah, clearly racist. You know, he said he welcomed people from uh, Scandinavia, but people of color, no, can't have that. And one of the, I mean, the problem with refugees is why can't people, you know, people, they don't want to get up and leave for, you know, no reason at all. It takes a lot. I mean, think about what would it take uh, dear listener, to make you leave your home and try to find refuge somewhere else. It has to be really bad. People have a right to stay at home. They have a right to stay at home. And I think that's what we're talking about here. And yet it doesn't happen. So most of the Kurds, not all of them, and, and the region itself is mainly in what's now Turkey, right? But does it, it also, does it also extend into uh, Syria and Iraq and Iran, just for clarification? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kurdish, Kurdistan, the the land of the Kurds. Mm -hmm. if, if you read, for example, the travelers who visited the Middle East in the, you know, at, before the First World War, um, in 18th century, 19th century, they'll they'll tell you they you know they they entered this area called Kurdistan. Right. It's the you know it's the historical homeland of the Kurds. As sure. I said, it's just like think of it like Polish homeland. Sure. Um, or the Greek homeland, or the Italian homeland. So the um, but it's not just in it, Turkey, well, right? It's, it, it goes no, no. It, it, it is it was, so when British and French came to the first to the Middle East, mm -hmm. they won the war, and when they won the war, to the to the victors went the spoils. So they carved up, you know, brand new countries in the region. For example, Jordan didn't exist, Syria didn't exist, Lebanon didn't exist. So right. they were. Uh, you know, Palestine, didn't, you know, it existed as a part of Ottoman Empire, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't right. an independent country. And so British took over some some of the areas, the French took some of the areas, the Kurds could have gotten their independence, but the British and the French decided not to, you know, accord independence or political space to the Kurds. They created, for example, Britain became the colonial power in Baghdad, in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Iraq had 20% Kurdish population then. Uh, it has 20%, 25, 20% Kurdish population now. Wow. So the, the population, one-fifth of the population of Iraq at the time was Kurdish, and they rebelled against British. They didn't like to be part of Arab Iraq because it was a majority Arab, 80% Arab, 20% Kurdish. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be 20% Kurdish you know, independent like Lebanon, a small country, but they wanted to be on their own. And the British didn't, didn't fought them back. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, Woodrow, uh, President, I mean, uh, Winston Churchill is famous for saying, you know, if needed, use poison gas. And British Army did use, I mean, British Air Force did use, uh, Royal Air Force did use poison gas, both against the Shiites as well as the Kurds. Um, and this is, you know, 19... Uh, 18, 19, 20, 21. And then finally, this area was basically, you know, created a state. The state of Iraq was created in 19... It didn't, the word Iraq, many people didn't even, you know... Right. Didn't even associate with it because it was, you know, Arab lands. And uh, But Kurdistan was uh, forgotten and Iraq was created. Kurdish area of Syria was forgotten and Syria was created. And ever since... I mean, the Kurds have been clamoring for more rights. 
They have been fighting for rights. They have, you know, there's there's armed struggle going on too. Right now, of the four countries in which we live, Iraqi Kurdistan is um, has the has advanced, if you will, has more political like political. It's an autonomous region, uh-huh. and it's recognized in Baghdad as an autonomous region. Yeah. So. The Kurds, at least in Iraqi Kurdistan, have a semblance of freedom, a semblance of um, autonomy, mm-hmm. whereas in Turkey, they don't. Mm-hmm. In Syria, they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, you started your program by saying, you know, when empires collapse, opportunities arise. Yes. Uh, this is what happened in the Soviet Union. When Soviet Union imploded, a country like Armenia then decided to be on, on its own. Mm-hmm. And I say more power to Armenia because at least the Armenian generation that came of age after 1991 uh, can, you know, f- feel free, can can feel uh, their humanity. Um, and so, um, I mean, I'm not in the business of wishing ba- ill, um, bad for the countries, but Turkey right now is too strong and it's supported by the West through NATO and it feels... Um, you know, it can crush the Kurds with impunity. It has the, you know, fighter planes from made in the USA, mm-hmm. tanks made in the USA. So there's a there's a moral issue at stake. And I all I'm saying to the Americans on my way to New York, I'll be staying with some families along uh-huh. the way, um, giving some talks along the way. And I'm saying, you know, you need to get your government involved as well. And I'm not saying, you know, help Kurds become imperialists. No, it's just the Kurds want to be free. Yes. Uh, it's Turkey that is an imperialist country. It's Syria that is an imperialist country because France created borders in which Arabs were majority. And now they don't want to let Kurds be free. And Iraq uh, wants to do the same thing that the British did. The British didn't want the Kurds to be free. And 80% population of Iraq is Arab. And they don't want 20% Kurdish population to be free. Mm. So this 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 problem is a legacy of European imperialism. Yes. Plus Middle Eastern despots like Turkey and Iran. Mm-hmm. And the Kurds, you know, are asking for political space. It's not like we're saying we want to go take over Turkish lands or we take over just want their Arab own political lands. space, yeah. Yeah, they talk we, the language, yeah. name their kids what they want to name their kids. Hey. Right. <laughs> yeah, for those who just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. We're talking about uh, a struggle for freedom. Imagine that in uh, occupied Kurdistan right now. It's occupied uh, by places like uh, uh, Turkey and and others. And and our guest today is. Uh, undertaking a big uh, struggle. He's rather dedicated to it. Connie Zulam uh, is uh, taking, he's director of the uh, American Kurdish Information Network, and he's uh, doing a walk of three, over 300 miles to New York City to the United Nations. So on that walk, and the, the final destination, of course, is the United Nations. What about the places you stopped? Tell us of their significance, please. Um. I will be going to um, Baltimore and then from there along Highway 83 to York and then to Lancaster and then to um, towards Philly. Um, and then in Philadelphia, I'm taking a break. Um, I am paying homage to America's own experiment in um, self-representation. Mm. Uh, it was a gigantic step forward in the history of humanity, the, the, you know, the first democratic experiment. And it wasn't perfect, but it was a lot better than what was going on in Europe. And um, I, I am as I went to college in, in America, so I um, studied politics and history. Um, I am in awe of what uh, the likes of um, you know Franklin and Hamilton and Jefferson and um, uh, Paine did, um, and most of them you know did all this uh, predominantly in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will be uh, you know visiting uh, the buildings, the landmarks that were visited by them at one time, and uh, on to um, Washington's crossing to um, uh, through Trenton to uh, Princeton, and then to Staten Island, and then to, um, I'll take the ferry across the uh, um, river uh, to New York. 
Um, and then uh, July 24th is uh, my last day, basically. And, uh, so that's what my, my plan is, and that's what I hope to do um, from July 1st to July 24th. Boy, I'm, I'm, you must be in pretty darn good physical shape. I have to say better you than me. That's for sure. It's it's. Quite an- uh, I've been tra- I've been training for the last uh, literally eight months. I used to um, I like hiking anyway, uh-huh. so I used to go every other day. And then um, recently, I've been going every day, and uh, about six miles in the mornings, two hours. Jeez. And uh, last month, I've been doing it uh, double duty, so I do fifteen miles average per day. Um, my doctor says you're ready to go. Uh, I feel ready to go. Um, and if anybody is listening and they live in New Jersey and uh, Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. Maryland mm-hmm. and they want to, um, you know, be take part in this walk, uh, they can join us. Um, I mean, if you're ever thinking why, um, you know, great things happened in the 1960s, Dr. King, right, right. uh, March on Washington. Uh, this is not, uh, you know, I don't want to compare myself to Dr. King, but this is a march for dignity, for liberty, for human rights. Um, if he was alive, uh, if I if I were able to reach him, I think he would have joined it. Um, so if you're um, you know if you're listening and if you want to be part of it, you can. It's open to all. Uh, you don't you know you could do it a mile. You could also share our. Uh, uh, I I will be posting dispatches per day. Uh-huh. They can be share, shared. Uh, my impressions of what I saw in America, so to speak, and. Um, they can also, people can also reach to their, you know, read about this issue. Uh, if they're in college, I would strongly recommend to write about Kurtz because when you write, you don't forget. Um, yeah. uh, so those are the, the things that people can do to be a part of it. Um, it's, it's a cause for human rights. It's a cause for human dignity, for liberty. Um, we're talking about 50 million Kurds uh, who are, yeah. uh, you know, it, it matters. Uh, yeah, an, inter- <laughs> an international conspiracy 100 years ago uh, deprived them of their homeland, mm. and we're trying to right this uh, colossal wrong uh, 100 years later. And that is so important for of history. And I'll get to uh, uh, you had written an essay about it, which talks about this. And we'll get to that before the uh, the end of the discussion here. And I do find it interesting that you know the, the British. <sighs> Uh, the, the sun would never set on the British Empire. Well, luckily it did, finally. Took long enough. Uh, you know, and they wanted to, they, they felt like they could uh, rule the world. Now, with their cuisine, I don't know how they ever thought they had a right to rule the world. Their food is kind of boring. But uh, they wanted to create a new Middle East. They wanted to be, uh, to, to lay down the map. I mean, there's that uh, Sykes-Picot line, for example. You know, they, they, they divided it up. And that's, I mean, if you look at the map of Africa, all these straight lines, strictly, you know, perfectly horizontal and vertical, that's not done by local people. You know, it's done by the, the, the empires. And I do find it interesting in our more recent history, in the American history, uh, we had Bush and Cheney, who, as I recall, very much wanted to create a new Middle East. What can you say about that in the historical context that we've been talking about? I mean, you know, British at one time controlled 16 million square uh, land, uh, you know, 140 times greater land than Great Britain. Uh, that is a fact of life. They, you know, up until 1919, they were the, you know, the biggest. Uh, yep. They they started proceeding after the Second World War, and I say, you know, it's good that they they went back to their islands. Um, I mean, it's I don't I'm not against Englishmen or Frenchmen or American to go to abroad to you know share their ideas with others to travel to visit but when they impose their will it is wrong um i mean napoleon once observed all empires have died of indigestion um bismarck bismarck once observed that um you can do a lot of things with bayonets but you cannot sit on them right um so you know imperialism i i want you know, tell the listeners that it's 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 19th century, it's 20th century. We live in 
21st century now. Yeah. And we, 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 it's, it was wrong in Africa. It's also wrong in the Middle East. And if, if it's good that Europeans have, you know, ended this practice and now they're saying, you know, they, they, they no longer practice it. Um, they, but they have left their legacy in the Middle East. You know, Syria was created in, in Cairo or by withdrawal by uh, Winston Churchill and his um, French colleagues. Um, so imagine, you know, Kurds were strong and became to Europe and we decided to create a new Europe. And we yeah. gave, you know, half of France to Spain and the other half to Germany. And then, and then you, we told you, you know, too bad. <laughs> you don't like it, go to hell. Well, this is, this is basically what happened in the Middle East. And, and the Kurds are trying to say, you know, what you did was wrong. Right. And what, what I am doing is let's fix it. Uh, let's, yes. you know, let's heal it, if you will. Yes. And, um, you know, if you're a pious Christian, I mean, in Christianity, there's something called atonement. Yes. Um, I know, you know, the generation that made the mess in the Middle East is not around anymore. Uh, the British and the French I'm talking about. Right. Um, but their grandchildren are around and they can do right. They can say, you know, what we did, what my ancestors did was wrong. And I'm going to support you, Connie, or I'm going to support you, fellow Kurd. Um, about uh, President Bush and um, his vice president, Cheney, I mean, you know, the Kurds are kind of conflicted there because they uh, didn't like Saddam. They were hurt by Saddam. They were gassed by Saddam. They were treated like rats by Saddam. And so Bush toppled him. And every Kurd that I know, you know, is grateful uh -huh. to that act because a monster was toppled, was leveled uh -huh. to the ground. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, in Iraqi Kurdistan, we have a population of like five to six million Kurds. Oh. As many as 250,000 Kurds died in that struggle for freedom. Mm. And, you know, that's like, imagine you have, um, you know, 200 people in your iPhone uh, and you have, uh, you have lost 10 of them to torture or to gassing. Right. Uh, this is how 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 it feels for the Kurds. Uh, Bush and Cheney, unfortunately, uh, embraced the status quo. I mean, Kurds did everything everything they could to uh, secede uh, from Iraq. Uh, it was a small Kurdistan, but it was still, in my opinion, a step in the right direction. Uh -huh. um, and they couldn't. Um, so, um, I mean, I you know I'm reminded of a quote by Abraham Lincoln, who says, "Self-government is better than good government." In the Middle East, we don't we don't have good governments. We have bad governments. Right. And and what the Kurds want is self-government. What a concept, um, self-government. We like it. We do like it. We, we you know it's like it, it's a right that people have everywhere. In in my opinion, and you know who is to say you know you can't impose what I think is the best thing on other people without their uh, participation and without their going along with it if they don't want to do it. And I, I mean, your 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 program is called "Keeping Democracy Alive." Let's say Turkey was a democracy, truly a democratic society. That'd be nice. I mean, I I think Kurds, you know, could have could have like people in Quebec could have said, "Okay, well, we're we're you know we have <laughs> we have our own province, we have our own police force, we have our own mm -hmm. uh, language schools, like universities in Kurdish, and maybe we, we want to be part of Turkey." But what they want is. You know, they want Kurdistan to be recognized. They want the name Kurdish to be legal. They don't want the Kurdish language mm -hmm. to be illegal. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is, um, I mean, there's no democracy in Turkey. Uh, and because there isn't democracy in Turkey, people are, you know, clamoring for more rights. They're saying, well, if Latvians have, you know, self-government, if Armenians have self-government, self if Azeris have self-government, and they all were part of, like, in, the, in a prison of... In, in a prison of nations called the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. and that that prison collapsed, and those, these people are free, and the Kurds want to say, well, you know, let's put an end to the prison of nations in the Middle East too. These artificial borders that were created by the British and the French, and let's you know let the real people on the ground decide whether they want to have a you know independent state or they want to be part of let's say Turkey. Um, I mean, I, you know, I don't impose my will on, on right. the Kurds per se. All I am asking is for political space, for greater 
political space. And if that is on the ground, then a lot of these issues that the Middle East has as we speak, in my opinion, will vanish. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, you see, the, the, the region doesn't have freedom of speech. <laughs> the region doesn't have freedom of assembly. You have authoritarianism and you have, and this authoritarianism, many of these authoritarian states, unfortunately, you know, get a lot of um, deadly weapons from, from, from the West and they perpetuate their evil systems. Um, otherwise, you know, but, you know, but there's, there's hope for change too, in the sense that uh, people like me are, you know, agitating and, and we're asking people in the West to honor us, to recognize us the way, you know, the African um, National Congress, right. for example, was recognized in South Africa and the way the, the black majority was honored. And then the white minority was convinced that it was, you know, perpetuating an evil system and it dismantled apartheid. Well, there's a, a similar system in Turkey. You know, it's not called apartheid, but it's it's called glorification of one race over the other. It's called yeah. the domination of the Turkish people over the Kurdish people. I mean, God didn't say one people should be more equal than the others. It's the politicians on the ground who say that. That's no question about it. And I, I, I will say, I was very, very hopeful back in 2016 when there was uh, an attempted uh, change of government, shall we say, in Turkey, uh, an attempted coup. It didn't work. Uh, I, I, I really wish it had, because uh, I'd like to go to Turkey someday, but I'm not going to go there when they have a, uh, a dictator like they do. Well, the, I mean, my take on the coups is that no military uh, takeover is good. Right. Um, I am all for, um, you know, grounds up political representation. Yes, yes. And I think... Uh, Guns, when they enter the political space, they muffle uh, dissent. They uh, muffle uh, voices. Yeah. opposition. So uh, coups are not the solution to Turkey's problems. What is uh. the solution to Turkey's problems is more political space, is more freedom. Yes. Is you know, I like for example, I tell Kurds and Turks in Germany, for example. I, I make an analogy like to a car. I say a German drives his car, let's say 100 kilometers per hour on a German autobahn. A Turk, if you compare a German to a Turk, he drives 50 kilometers per hour. That's like 30 miles per hour. Uh -huh. And a Kurd drives 15 miles per hour yeah. compared, compared to German. But because Kur Turks are not allowing Kurds political space, they lose their own speed from 30 miles per hour to 20 miles per hour. And we, because we're not allowed to, you know, take place, take, um, we don't, we're not given political space. We lose our speed from 15 miles to 10 miles. So it's, it's a problem that is, you know, like it's, it's Turks are perpetuating it. If, if they were smart, they would say, okay, Kurds, I am not into forcing my language on you. I'm going to let you be who you are. I'm not going to change the name of your village. I'm not going to change the name of your river. I'm not going to change the name of your mountain. You do whatever you want, and let's catch up with the German. <laughs> let's get up with the with catch up with the French. Um, but th those problems haven't been solved. No. The, the problems of you know what uh, Thomas Paine dealt with, uh, what Benjamin Franklin discussed with with people like Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton. You know that that um, you have to have checks and balances, and you have to have laws, and you have to have constant vigilance. You have to, yes. uh, you know, the, 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 when founding fathers of this country were, you know, were very familiar with what had taken place in Athens and what had taken place in Rome, and they knew there was no angel. Everybody, mm -hmm. you know, is has shortcomings, and they wanted to create a system where you know checks and balances took care of it. And in Turkey, Erdogan now, you know, wants to be like King George yeah. III. Yeah. yeah, he wants, yeah, he, you know, he, like he has thousands of people are now sued because of their tweets, because he doesn't like their tweets. Oh, and, and so it, it's not, yeah, you know, it's it, not sustainable. It is, and I, I, I will say that I do, I may be in a somewhat of a minority, but I always think a solution is more democracy, not less. It's it, it's messy, but... It, it is. It is. I mean, I'll, t I'll give you one of the statistics. 
in the in 2022, over 20,000 Turkish passport holders, some of them Kurds, crossed the Mexican border into Texas, into Arizona, into California. Mm. They this this never happened in 2012 or in 1980 or in 1990. There is a lot of oppression. There's a lot of uh, you know um, crackdown on on freedom of speech, and people are saying you know. I, I have a free visa to Mexico. I'm just going to take my chances. Mm. And all I'm saying is let's address these issues. Yes. So people could come directly from, you know, JFK or they could come to Dallas airport. They don't need to, um, you know, go through the hell of, uh, you know, selling everything they have and then crossing a desert, not knowing where they're going. And some of them have died. So, I mean, the world, as it gets smaller, it, it, these problems, we have to, really think bigger and address them. Mm. Otherwise, the, the, you know, the, the thing that if you say, well, I don't care what goes on in Turkey, then you're going to have more refugees coming. Do you, you follow me? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's people, all related. It's all related. It's all part of one. One is part of the other. People and, have a right people to... Wa- yeah, say, people want space. They just said people have a right to stay in their homes. They really do. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Live. Our guest is Kani Zukan. Uh, and he's doing a big walk to uh, New York City, to the U.N., to uh, try to uh, lobby for Kurdistan. And just just real briefly, if I remember correctly, uh, you know, what, there was this whole ISIS thing, Daesh it was called also, very violent Sunni extremist quasi-nation when they captured a large portion of Syria and Iraq, and the U.S. was quite concerned about it. They were not nice people. Uh, if my memory serves me well, which it doesn't always, the Kurdish people in general and Kurdish women in specific were crucial to defeating ISIS. Is, that, is my memory right there? Your memory is right. Uh, ISIS came into existence, you know, in the aftermath of what happened right. in Iraq, and um, it grew. Um, what they, you know, did, for example, one deed, uh, they blew up the border posts between Syria and Iraq, and they said, goodbye, Mr. Sykes, goodbye, Mr. People. <laughs> uh, these were references to, right. you know, English and, and French statesmen who had carved up right. the Middle East. And to be honest with you, I have nothing good to say for well, ISIS or for Daesh, but I, you know, I inside I felt good. You know, the Kurds had wanted to get rid of these borders because they had uh-huh, also uh-huh. cut cut through the Kurdish homeland, uh, courtesy of you know the European imperialists. Yes. And uh, so, but they they were monsters. They grew up by leaps and bounds, and they created this caliphate. And then um, in October 2014, they took, they almost took over most of the Kurdish areas. In Syria, they took over, they wanted to take over this town called Kobani. And um, at the time, uh, President Obama and um, the uh, Pentagon decided to give um, the Kurds a chance. Um, I mean, the Secretary of State, John Kerry, um, Mm -hmm. actually issued a statement saying that uh, we're not going to do anything about it. It's just, you know, we cannot save the town. But then the Pentagon moved, stepped in and said, yes, we can. The Kurds are fighting tooth and nail. Uh, it's, it's been turned, it has, the city has turned, it has become almost like a Stalingrad. Mm. And let's fight, let's help these Kurds. Obama okayed the decision. Uh, weapons were dropped on, uh, on the city where the Kurds were. And Kurds fought back and pushed back and 11,000 Kurds died. Um, 23,000 Kurds got maimed, uh, and this ISIS threat went underground. Um, I mean, I, I think um, Europeans and Americans uh, should uh, feel gratitude towards yes, the Kurds for exactly. getting getting rid of this menace. And you know, this effort on our part is again is expanding the you know the boundaries of freedom and and dignity and liberty. Um, what what happened, unfortunately, was Trump. Uh, it, the struggle was going on during on Obama's watch, and then when Trump came to power, he also supported the Kurds, and went and said, you know, good luck to you, and and, and gave them even more weapons. But then when the Kurds won the struggle and ISIS went underground, Trump uh, did 180, and he uh, allowed Turkey to go in and take uh, some parts of the Kurds in Syria, some Kurdish areas, and so. Um, 
you know, there's that ugly ch- history too. Um, I mean, the Kurds felt betrayed. Um, Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, um, uh, you know, um, raised the issue. And that's when Americans felt outraged. They recognized the Armenian genocide because the Kurds were now betrayed. Uh-huh. And so because uh, what the, the, the Kurdish sacrifices came in handy for the Congress to recognize the Armenian genocide uh, in spite of the fact that Trump didn't want that to be recognized because he, he and Erdogan um, we're kind of seeing eye to eye on a lot yeah. of these issues. Yeah, I don't like either one of them personally. <laughs> um, all right, so what you know, here we are in uh, the uh, United States right now. What what can we as citizens do? I'm not Kurdish, uh, but what you're you're marching and you're walking to the United Nations, and, and it's going to arrive on you're going to arrive on July 24th, 100 years to the day after Kurdistan was uh, divided up by the great powers. Um, what can average people do here in the United States? Um, you know, I'll tell you a story first. In 1850s, there was a war in Crimea. Um, the Ottomans, French, English were on one side and Russia was on the other side. And a little country called Sardinia, uh, north of Italy, um, sent 5,000 uh, soldiers uh, to the to contribute to the British war effort, basically, against Russia. Um, and the the British and the French and the Ottomans basically won the Russian suit for peace. And then 10 years later, Great Britain helped a great deal um, Italians to become free. Uh, Garibaldi, Mazzini, Gavur. Um, so that little investment of Sardinia came in handy 10 years later. I mean, I, you know, as a student of history, I, I feel like Kurds sacrificed 11,000 of their daughters and, and sons. And I don't mean just Kurds. There were some Arabs uh, fighting ISIS too. And at the end of the day, you know, Kurds are asking for political space. And these ISIS types, these cutthroats, you know, were basically trying to dominate and, and sure. subjugate, the, subjugate the Kurds. So um, if you are, you know, an American listening to this, um, and since I'm in America, um, you could reach out to your representatives. Uh, you could ask them to support this I- initiative. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm not asking America to move into the Middle East. I'm no, not for imperialism. No. <laughs> all I'm all I'm saying is that you know Americans can support the Kurds if there's a public opinion supporting the Kurdish uh, desire for more political space. It matters. Then it matters. Yeah. Yes, then you know the. And then your, your your daughter will know about the Kurds too. I yeah. mean, uh, it, it it is you know it's a struggle for freedom. It's a struggle for dignity. Um, in this country, you know, uh, before 1960s, there was something called segregation. Yeah, it took it took people of goodwill. Yes, a lot of whites going to the prisons, freedom riders in the South, and then a lot of you know good leadership on the part of Dr. King and his friends. Mm-hmm. And then this this legacy of you know. Um, is, segregation was left behind, yep. was delegated takes- to the muse- museums. And we want the same thing. We want this, you know, Mr. Sykes and Mr. Pico's borders <laughs> to go to the museums. And we want our political space to be recognized and our voice to be heard and our, uh, you know, our name to be honored. Um, I mean, a lot of Kurds carry passports in their pocket that says nationality Turkish. I mean, if God created them as Turks, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you have 25 million people carrying identity cards that are mm. that are wrong, that are lies, yeah. then it is this world that we have inherited. It, something is wrong with it. We have to say this is not. I don't want to live in, a, or I don't want to be part of, um, you know, this this lie. Um, Turkish ambassador in in Washington, you know, he he enjoys. Uh, White House visits, mm. um, and yes, his people, his country is committing cultural genocide. Yes, in a country, in a, in a country that is, uh, I mean, I you know, I wish if President Biden were hearing me, I would say, please, you could you you could say this is wrong. You could you know, 
yep. name it and shame him. Yes. And even say, if need be, you're a persona non grata. You're committing no, cultural genocide good. against a minority. It takes a great deal of perseverance. It ain't easy, folks. It isn't easy, you know, to end uh, segregation, to end uh, uh, apartheid in South Africa. It takes a lot of persistence. You can, you, dear listener, you can go to Kurdistan.org and uh, check it out there and, uh, and, and be supportive. Your voice counts. Your voice counts. Thank you so much, Connie. Best of luck in, in this walk and uh, hope you get a lot of media attention and uh, achieve success. Thank you so much for being Thank with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bayani wasakhti halasti Hiwayek namawak yaboy hasti Shianet tawawubi hasti If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. And if you find the information valuable, your friends probably do too. Please ask them to also subscribe. It's on Apple, Spotify, Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.